Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the How to Fix a Broken Record podcast. This is actually uh, not the final episode of our podcast, but it is the last episode where we will be covering one of the seven parts of this book. So I am really excited to close this portion of the podcast where we are talking through a book section with phenomenal bass player extraordinaire Brandon Gilliard. And let me tell you a little bit about Brandon because you've heard Brandon, I'm pretty sure, even if you didn't know him, to know that you'd heard him because he's amazing. So let me tell you just a few of the artists that he's played with. And this is this is a small list right here. Like if I was going to list everybody that he's played with that you know, um, we would basically have to take up the whole podcast <laughs> with that. But Brandon has played with Lecrae, with Layla Hathaway, with Janelle Monet, David Crowder, Kirk Franklin, and Prince, among others. I really didn't have to say anyone else's name. I probably could just said Prince and just hang up and that's it also he has appeared on uh jimmy fallon snl bet awards everywhere that you've been and that you want to be brandon has appeared there and also brandon and i have shared stage together he has actually played bass while i have performed poetry so please welcome to the how to fix a broken record podcast brandon gilliard i always feel like i should have an applause track right here brandon <laughs> thank you man yeah, I see. That, that, that made me sound a lot more impressive than I actually am. <laughs> Listen, I I have had a lot of years to watch Brandon work, and it has just been such a really cool journey to see just your your mete- meteoric rise. I think that's the word that you typically use for that phrase. So I don't know my my days of being able to uh, perform with you in Eddie's attic. You know, those days might be limited now. <laughs> You know what? No, you know it's it's the funny thing is like, and I I know I know you didn't really ask all this, but like uh, the funny thing about being a side man is like you know one night you might be at Madison Square and the next night you know you might be in the uh, you know Joe's Blue Shack in the middle of nowhere, so <laughs> it keeps you humble. Yeah, I feel like being a poet <laughs> is basically that same experience. Like yeah. we've had some moments where we were like performing in an arena you know like I was there performing poetry yeah. and hosting and my husband DJ Abdiggy was DJing and then like the next day we're in like this really small town staring at a room full of like junior high students who are like what <laughs> are you doing you know so yeah. it is kind of interesting uh when you have I don't I don't it's like I don't know what to call what it is that people like us are doing but it's like it's it's awesome but it's just like unique in the ways that you can get booked for certain things I guess right so that makes for a unique experience this this section of the book that I wanted to sort of riff with you Brandon is called searching for the groove and was one of my favorite sections to write because I was really getting a chance to in the book how to fix a broken record write about when we're talking about music and grooves and records like what does that really mean uh, in our life in general and in our faith life and our spiritual life as well so I want to talk first with you in general about the groove And I remember in the book trying to sort of define what the groove is. Like if I could think about how old I was or my first, you know, memory of the groove, 
I'm almost certain that it was an Earth, Wind, and Fire song. I'm almost certain it was an Earth, Wind, and Fire song that was my first, even as a child, like, I don't know what this is, but this is amazing. (laughs) Whatever's happening to me, you know, my dad was a big Earth, Wind, and Fire fan. So that was like the first time I ever remember hearing a piece of music. And I like, I'm still talking about it, you know, 30 years later, hearing, you know, Let's Groove Tonight. I think in the book, I actually said, um, I said, when I hear the word groove, I think of what my mom's hips do when Cameo came on the radio. (laughs) I think of what happened at family reunions when our DJ cousin played Brick House. It's hard to escape the groove. It's the rhythm guitar and dancing machine, the bass line to let's groove, the timbre of Frankie Beverly's voice in Before I Let Go. So being a bass player, you are really a big part of the center of what makes the groove of a song work. So can you tell me a little bit from your expertise, your perspective and experience as a bass player, what is it that you love about the groove and why is the groove so important? Okay. So the the groove is, is, is what, that's the thing that makes people, makes people dance, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I say my job is to, you know, as a bass player, is to make people dance. If, if somebody's not bobbing their head or, you know, kind of kind of feeling it, I'm not do, doing my job right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and a lot of times, you know, you, you know, you can hear something, and it might be technically correct, but it, it just doesn't make doesn't make you move at all. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if you listen to a lot of like the the old Motown and, you know, kind of Earth, Wind and Fire era stuff, uh, you know, a lot of it wasn't, you know, there might be a, a note that doesn't quite fit, but it does. It just it just works out. Um, so yeah, a lot of the stuff is like, you know, OK, think of like uh, some old Al Green or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times the guitar was just slightly out of tune. You know, mm-hmm. just just slightly out of tune, but it, it just felt so right. And like I've, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, and you know about about things like that. It's like if the guitar was if the guitar was in tune, it wouldn't be the same. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have that thing on it. It would just be, oh, this is this is correct. You know, but it doesn't have that that thing that 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 moves you. Uh, so a lot of times, it's not about technical accuracy it's, it's more so about you know just how it makes you feel um and you know sometimes you know it, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to describe but it, it you know it's, there's a lot of things like uh like playing kind of behind the beat a little bit mm-hmm. that's the thing that kind of helps you know helps things feel you know feel groovy um sometimes it might be you know just playing less notes you know, that, that's kind of one of my things as a bass player is I'm always trying to figure out how to how to get my musical point across with the the least amount of notes possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you, you know, you can because I, I went through this phase when I when I first got out, got out of college, you know, I have, I have a music degree uh, when I first got out. You know, I you know I was fresh out. I had all these ideas. 
Um, I knew all this stuff, and I wanted to. I wanted to let everybody know I knew every note. Like I could play every note there was, <laughs> you know. And then, um, you know, I, I used to play with this band, and, and there's this uh, this guy, guitar, guitar player. He, you know, he was he was nice enough to to say the mean things to me. You know, well, not they weren't really mean. It was just he was he cared enough about me to to let me know, like, hey, you're playing too many notes. Mm. <laughs> you know, and he told me he was like, "Hey, I remember like uh, we got into it on quite a few gigs, and he was like, hey, man, like you're killing the groove, like you're playing way too many notes, like you're not you're not really paying attention to what's going around going on around you.'" And for a minute, I fought it. Mm. Uh, but as time went on, I, I started slowly started to see it's like maybe he does have a point, and uh, you know, so now you know what I'm 34 now, so 10 years later. Uh, well, over 10 years later, uh, you know, my, my goal is always to to make the music feel the best it can with the least amount of notes. I really I really think that is so interesting because I feel like I, I've had only a few experiences where I've been had an opportunity to perform with a band and okay. how performing with a band really teaches you. I think a friend of mine, uh, Terrence Clark, who's a drummer, he would always use the word tasteful. Right. That when a musician knows how to do what it is you're describing there, Brandon, knows how to not just be playing a bunch of things because it to be busy, you know, to right, make the right. sound so busy, um, right. that it really takes skill as a musician to to play tastefully you know, to bring in that right amount of what it is you bring to the table. And especially when you're in a band setting, I would imagine not wanting to overshadow anyone else in the band. It's like everybody has this bigger picture you're hoping to contribute to. Would you say that's been your experience? Yes. Yes. Um, well, let, let me see, let me put it like this. So, you know, most of the stuff that I do is, uh, you know, like you, you were kind of naming some of the artists I play for. Uh, one thing that you know I had to realize is that when people come to a show, they're coming to hear that person. You know, they're coming to hear the the headliner. You know, so say say Lecrae. You know, say I'm playing with Lecrae or somebody. You know, people are coming to see Lecrae. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, now, as a side man, my job is to to build a foundation. You know, so that Le- Lecrae can. You know, so he can. I guess what the word be spit because he's a rapper. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so on, on top of that, um, so you know, I always you know now I try to keep in mind that I'm there to support the artist. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in supporting the artist means you know making the music feel good for that artist but also trying to stay out of the way so that people can hear the lyrics. Mm. That phrasing stay out of the way is really, really interesting because I do, I do find um, my one, one of my really most amazing experiences having been with the band was touring with Gunger. Uh-huh. And I learned a lot about the groove touring with that band because there were quite a few moments on stage where, you know, Michael sort of leading the band 
sort of left, wanted to leave certain parts of the music for us to just like try things out on stage in a certain way. And that right. meant we had to learn sort of that give and take of, you know, if it was time for the drummer to do this solo, then right. we all sort of back up a bit at that point so that the right. drummer can like do his thing. And if the bass player is going to solo, then we all back up a bit. And when, you know, I performed, even though I don't play an instrument in certain ways, when I was on the road with them, performing poetry felt like, you know, in those times I was on stage with them, that I was having to be another instrument in the band and know the difference right. between when it's when it's time to solo, when you get, you know, a bit of that moment to shine, and right. when the rest of the time is for you to really be a, like, I think you mentioned this in, in your answer to one of the questions earlier, you're going to try to be listening to everyone else also. Like, that's right. a part of the groove, that in order for the groove to go well, Right. It seems like you have to really be a good listener to what's happening around you also. You do. Uh, I always think, you know, I always think of music as a conversation. Um, and, you know, you know, with you doing poetry, you, you know, you're talking about, you know, doing poetry with a band. Um, that makes complete sense because, uh, you know, music is a conversation. Uh, when you have, uh, you know, think about a, like a jazz trio or something like that. Uh, you have somebody taking a solo. Um, the other two people will kind of back up, you know, and kind of listen a little. You know, they're still playing, but kind of letting the, you know, the soloist kind of take the take the, you know, the stage a little bit. Um, so you know, versus. Let me think about this. Okay, so have you ever heard a band where everybody's just playing just a little too much? Yes. Is it is it not confusing? Yes, it is so confusing <laughs> and yeah, frustrating. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, I, when I when I hear something like that, that that means that nobody is really having a conversation, and that, mm-hmm. that they're not listening to each other. It's mm-hmm. just a bunch of people. It's the equivalent of you talking and me trying to talk at the same time. Right. So, um, some of the some of the, the the best groove musicians, um, in my opinion actually are the best listeners you know they 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 talk with you know they they just know how to have a conversation you know they're not trying to talk over everybody else you know somebody else while they're while they're talking if that makes any sense that makes total sense and (laughs) i i wanted to ask you also as i have named a few just a small number here of other artists that you've played with and you've talked about just the bass player's job, it seems, is really to be a team player, that the mm-hmm. bass player doesn't walk into a scenario where you're going to play with an artist or play in a band and attempt to immediately be like the star, even right. though the groove that the bass player is going to help establish is really a part of what's going to help everyone else do well what they do. But I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, and my having known you for a few years here, Brandon, I know you to be very, you're very laid back. Brandon, Brandon could almost enter a room. And like, if you weren't looking, you wouldn't really know he had come into the room. He can kind of <laughs> come in the room and like, he could like be wherever the cut is. That's Brandon's address. He's like, I'm here in the cut. That's where I exist right here. <laughs> but you've had the opportunity to play with some artists that a lot of people would freak out, (laughs) like would freak out just even being in the same room 
with those people. I mean, just even the idea of you having played with Prince and played with artists like Janelle Monet and Lecrae, a lot of people would be like, I can't concentrate. I can't play a lick because I'm freaked out. So what was, how do you handle that as a musician, as a bass player, when you are walking into these situations where you're going to, you know, play with artists that people really, really respect, you know, some of the venues where you've played and different television shows that you've been a part of. I mean, those are some of those to me would be freak out experiences. How did you sort of posture yourself in those moments? Well, I, I guess one way I think about it is, um, you know, while I'm, I'm very excited to, you know, to work with people, you know, uh, a lot of the people I work with, yeah, they, they are, there are big stars and, you know, and I know that and uh, it, it's a big deal to me, but at the same time, I do also realize that we're all people. Yeah. You know, we all, we all put our, you know, I guess pants on the same way in the, in the, in the morning. So, you know, I, I keep that in mind and also keep the fact that, uh, you know, it's a job, you know, so, you know, I, I just want to make sure that uh, I do the, the best job possible and, and, you know, try not get stuck in like, you know, Oh my gosh, I'm playing, like, you know, in the back of my mind, yeah, it's still there. It's like, hey, I'm playing with this person. But at the same time, it's like, I have a job to do. So let me just make sure I do a good job. Um, so that keeps me from getting nervous, I guess. That's good. And and obviously, thinking this way is keeping you doing an excellent job. Because it's like you'd hate to get, you know, booked for a really great gig. And then you get there and you're like, I'm so freaked out. I can't play <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, I'm so starstruck. I can't play that. It's like that sort of defeats the purpose of the whole experience. If you could tell one of your favorite experiences you've had, you know, playing for someone who may be um, a person of influence or a star celebrity, or even some of the you know different venues that are amazing venues that you've had a chance to play, what what's one of your favorite experiences you've had? Well. Um, had a lot of good experiences. I guess I'll, I'll tell you, you know, one guy that I really respect was, you know, Prince. So, I, you know, I'll tell you one of my Prince stories. Um, so I guess the second time that I, I got to kind of make some music with Prince was, uh, let's see, I, I was out on Janelle Monet's tour and we went to Paisley Park after after our show. And, uh, so, you know, we all got there and, you know, everybody's just kind of sitting around and, and, uh, I don't know what you call it, like the big, big room with like the tables and stuff. And, uh, Prince wasn't there yet. You know what? Let me back up. Let me back up. Okay. Cause there's a better section of the story. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Okay. All right. So before that, that night, okay. So I played, I played a show with Janelle and uh, we used to do this cover of uh, Let's Go Crazy, mm-hmm. right? And, okay, I guess, you know what, I said I don't get nervous, but that was the one night that I did kind of get a little bit nervous. Uh, we are playing Let's Go Crazy, and, uh, you know, of course, we all, we, we use in-ears and stuff, so, um, you know, you could hear, there's like a talkback mic where you mm-hmm. can hear what's going on, like, you know, somebody needs to, like, Andy needs to tell you, like, hey, go here. You can hear him say something, right? 
So we're we're playing the uh, I think it's the Skybox Theater. I think it was Minneapolis. And uh, so we were playing Let's Go Crazy, and and all of a sudden, like our stage manager, manager he's over there just like yelling, and we're like, what is he saying? And uh, so I'm looking at him, and then finally the MD says into the mic, he says, Prince is, is up there in the balcony. Oh, my gosh. And you're right, right. Prince is up there in the balcony, and I, you know, I, could, I could barely see through the lights. Like, you know, when you're on stage, you know how it works. You can't really see a whole lot. Um, but I, I could kind of barely make him out, and he had his, you know, his entourage and all that good stuff. And uh, so anyway... I was like, oh, wow, there's Prince. So we're playing Let's Go Crazy. And, like, you know, I'd play that song every night for the whole tour without a problem. And uh, there's a little blues walk down at the end of it. And we got to that part. And I just, for like, I don't know, it might have been 1.5 seconds, but it felt like five minutes. I just forgot how to play bass. So it was like it was like the one time in my life when I messed that song up and it would happen to be right in front of it. Oh no. <laughs> so it was like it was like da 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 and all of a sudden you hear oh, no. <laughs> you know, and, and like I was like, oh no. I just did that. Oh my god. <laughs> all right, so, so so anyway, fast forward, fast forward. So all right, so we get the Paisley part. And uh, Prince wasn't there yet, and uh, I'm sitting there, sitting there talking to his band. At, at the time, his band, he was using uh, the Third Eye Girl band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Hannah, and uh, uh, what's her name? Bass player was uh, Ada. That's her name, Ada. Uh, but anyway, so we're, we're all sitting around, and you know, it's, it's pretty late, somewhere like, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning. And then finally Prince comes in. You know, he kind of speaks to everybody. He, he was the nicest guy. Uh, so he spoke to everybody. And then I, I started talking to his bass player about this new bass that she has. And she's like, you want to check it out? And I was like, yeah. So we walk into the rehearsal room, which the rehearsal room was basically like the size of a like an amphitheater looking thing. It was huge. Wow. <laughs> uh, so we get up there. You know, there's like a he had a, a sound tech that was on kind of on call all the time so you know we get up there it's like what kind of amp do you want to play through just like a, a wall of amps and um so you know I'm, I'm about to hook up the bass you know about the connect the cable he's like no no i have it i got it i got it so he takes the cable from me <laughs> he hooks it up himself and um so i'm standing up up there with ida prince's bass player at the time and uh she's like uh uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, hey, hey, grab another bass. We'll do like a two bass thing. She's like, uh, okay. So then the guy that I call Prince's manager, he walks up to the stage and he tells Ada that Prince wants to hear me play. Oh, my. Right? Oh, my. And uh, so so Ada gets off the stage. I'm like, let's do, no. I was like, come on, like, let's two, do two basses. She's like, no, I have to get off the stage. I was like, why? She's like, I just, I got to get off the stage. So she gets off the stage, and uh, so I'm standing there on the stage by myself with the bass, and I'm like, okay, so I play bass, so what am I going to play by myself? <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyhow, so 
finally, Mike, our drummer, Janelle's drummer, jumps on the stage and he's like, uh, you know, he jumps on the drum set. He, you know, we start, you know, we just start playing something. And, uh, and we start grooving. And uh, so, you know, I, I see Prince. He's in the room. He's kind of walking around, you know, doing the Prince thing. And uh, the next thing that happened was kind of crazy. Like, like the stage was probably, you know, it was like five feet in the air or whatever. And then, like, all of a sudden, Prince was just, like, there behind me. Mm-mm. And I'm like, whoa, where'd you come from? And, you know, we're still playing. And uh, he, he, he leans over. He's like, what key? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, D. Right? So he walks over, grabs his guitar, like a telly, off the stage, and just goes to town. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's the, it's the craziest thing, like. So we weren't allowed to, to you know, they, they had told us beforehand, don't don't take any videos, don't you know, don't take pictures and stuff. So I'm standing there, it's like I don't know, three thirty in the morning, and I'm playing with Prince in Paisley Park, and I'm like, this is the weirdest thing ever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, you know. So you know, I, I did after you know after after he played, you know, after we played, I, I did I sent my mama a text. And I'm like, hey mama, I just played with Prince. She's like. That's nice, you know, because she was like half asleep. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She didn't get it till like the next morning. She, you know, I guess she didn't make any sense of it till the next morning. But yeah, yeah, that was, you know. So here's the, here's the thing. Okay, so after the fact, after Prince passed, uh, I, I talked to uh, one of his, his horn players. I know a couple of his horn players, and uh, the guy tells me he was like, "Dude, he's like." You know that was your audition, right? I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" He was like, "I was like, I told him I was like, he didn't say this was an audition." He was like, "Yeah, but that's the way he does auditions." And I was like, "Whoa, okay, wow, wow." Yeah. So basically, you, you probably know this about Prince. Like, he, he he always had like different musicians. You know, you might see him with one band for you know a little while, and then he would have another band like a couple months later. And then he might go back to the other band. So he was always trying to just, just you know, build, a, I guess, a, I guess a, just a, a bigger file of musicians, I guess. Mm. So, uh, but sadly he passed away and, you know, but I did, you know, I guess I did get to audition for him. So, you know, that's. Wow. That's, that's, <laughs> Brandon, wow. That that is a favorite story right there. Like wow. Yeah. I mean just like the magnitude. I and mean, first of all, even as you were talking, my when you were like and then when Prince passed away, my mind was like, "Oh my gosh, that's right." Like my mind still it's like his music is so much bigger than life it feels like right. sometimes that is because his music still lives so much and so well. Sometimes I just forget that he's not here anymore. And then to think about having that experience with a musician like of his caliber, like, I mean, I obviously if I was up there doing spoken word with Prince, I, I, I die. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I just don't know. (laughs) But for me in my artistry, it would be like me being on stage and black thought being in the balcony. You know, like, that's what that would be like for me, like, and, yeah. or Black Thought being like, 
I would like to hear you perform. Like, no, you. I would yeah. like to hear you perform instead, Black Thought. Don't ask me, you know, because I just respect him as a writer. Right. As a poet, you know, in a lot of ways. So just yeah. you having that moment that this is a question I've asked uh, quite a few friends about, like, who would that artist be? You know, that if you were there playing, you know, or doing whatever your art is, and that person, like, walks in the room specifically, they want to see you play, you know, who right. is that artist, you know, and you that was we've answered that question many times among us hypothetically, and you got to live that experience, Brandon, that's wow. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing that story. Wow. Oh, <laughs> that's so awesome. And I think that's a testament to what being really good at your craft can make happen in your life, you know, that when you are really good at what you do, and you remain humble in that that it can just open all these doors for you. My mom would always quote that scripture, you know, your gift will make room for you. And right. that just is a great example of how your gift has made room for you in so many ways. I want right. to ask you, since we were, we're talking about Prince, who is really a uh, king of the groove, right? But I want right. to ask you about young Brandon, little childhood Brandon. What okay. was your first memory of the groove like can you remember an early song that you heard that now i mean you may not have had the the language at the time to say oh my gosh that's the groove that's what makes that amazing but what was yeah. one of your most like early impactful like musical memories that way well you know you were talking about earth wind and fire so you know when i was a kid my, my daddy had a lot of uh earth wind and fire he had records Wind and Fire records. <laughs> um, so I, re I just remember all of their songs just felt good, you know? Mm. And uh, so like early on, you know, I knew, I knew that music, I knew it was different, but you know, like I said, like you were saying, I was a kid, I didn't know what was different about it. Um, but you know, I, I knew, I was like, something feels good about this. So I like it, you know? And uh, what I would do is I, I would try to mimic a lot of the, the bass lines and things like that. Mm. Um, and um, while we're talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire, uh, so I don't know if you know this, but but Verdine um, White, the bass player from Earth, Wind, and Fire, mm -hmm. uh, he and I he and I have become like good friends over the last couple of years. Wow. Uh, so he he is the nicest guy you will ever meet. <laughs> um, so, uh, can I tell the story real quick? Yes, please. Okay, I, I told Virginia this story. So, years ago, uh, this was when I was in probably the eighth grade. I, I joined the high school marching band in the eighth grade. And uh, we were playing this little uh, thing called Freedom Week in the Loft mm -hmm. in my hometown. And to me, that was a big deal because I was like, oh, man, I'm playing, I'm playing for people. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, now the the big event that night was that Earth Wind and Fire was coming to town. You know, now little you know was I twelve years old? Uh, I couldn't afford a ticket to see Earth Wind and Fire. So I remember I, there was a gate around the the amphitheater. I, I, I climbed up on that gate and watched their whole show, kind of hanging off the gate, wow. right. And uh, I didn't I didn't really I didn't know Verdine's name at that point. I used to call him the man in the red suit 
<laughs> same, you know? same. That's totally right, the right. name of it. Certainly, right, right, right. So, uh, you know, so so fast forward to to years later, uh, I was playing with an artist, and we were on the same bill. It was a, uh, it was uh, it was actually Janelle, Janelle Monae, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Tower Power. Wow! Um, All the funk in one evening. Yeah, and just yeah. wow. So they had us on like a kind of the rotating stage. You know, it's like we finished, stage rotates around, child power, rotates again, earth, wind, and fire, right? So we're all back in the green room. And um, I'll, I'll say this. I, I got more more nervous meeting Verdine than I did meeting anybody else. Mm, right, right. <laughs> because, you know, like he's, a, he's, the, he's the base guy. Like, you know, he's the guy I wanted to be like. So, uh so I, I remember uh, I asked some of their band guys, I was like, is Verdine around? And they're like, he'll be there in a minute. So uh, so he finally got there. And uh, so I, I walk over, I knock on his green room door. And uh, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Brandon. I'm Janelle's bass player. And Verdine's like, it's like, come on in, come on in. Oh and uh, and like, <laughs> you know, he could tell, I guess he could tell how nervous I, I was. He was like, oh, he's like, it's, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. You know, that's how, that's how he talks. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he was, he was just like, you know, just so nice. And, you know, I, I kind of think of a, I think of Verdine as like my, my great, my base grandpa. Mm, yes. Base <laughs> grandpa. Yes. Yeah. So I remember he, he gave me his phone number and uh, I gave him a card and he gave me his email and stuff. And he, he told me to call him sometime. I was like, cool. So, you know, I, I was like, I don't want to like just bother this man. So, but randomly, like a week later, he calls, and so I'm, 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 I'm looking at my phone. I was at home at that point, and I'm, I'm my phone's ringing. It says Verdi and White. My, my wife's like, my wife's like, answer it. And I'm like, oh my God. Uh, uh. <laughs> so I, you know, he, he he just called to, you know, he was like, you know. Just want to check on you, make sure you made it home good, and every all that good stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And uh, and he told me he's like, next time you come out to L.A., swing by the house. Wait. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's well, crazy, right? At this point, what are you doing inside, Brandon? Because this this Freaking has out. to be a little bit of a freak out moment right here, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I remember I got off the phone. I was like, what? I just I just saw mm. like. Verdine White just called me. So, uh, you know, and, and a couple months later, I went up to L.A. and I went by his house. And, uh, you know, he showed me around the house. His wife was the nicest person, the nicest lady I've ever met. You know, they got like gold albums just on the walls all around the house. No big deal. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and they were just like, but, you know, he made a point. He was like, you know, we're regular people, yeah. you know. You know, and he, he, he's never, you know, even though, you know, he's, you know, he's got to be a multimillionaire. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but like, you know, they got a lot of hit songs. Right. <laughs> uh, he, he's just the nicest person you'll, you'll ever meet. Like, and he always makes a point to make everybody around him feel important. Mm. Um, so... And you know, like every time I go out to LA now, like uh, I'll stop by. You know, I just stop by and talk to him for a while. And uh, you know, if he, if he's on this, you know, if he's on the East Coast, he always calls me. So hey, you want to come to a show? You know, I'll be like, yeah, definitely. You uh, know, and and then like another thing is like, 
sometimes he just randomly calls, you know, just how you doing? You know, I remember we, we had a storm out this way a couple couple months, well, not a couple months, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And he calls the next day and he's like, hey, just checking on you. You know, I heard, you know, I heard the storm got pretty bad. Just want to make sure you're all OK. I was like, we're good. Thank you. I really appreciate you checking on us. Wow. You know, he, he actually, you know, he's, he's just such a nice guy. Wow. And what I love about that story, beside the fact that it's just a freaking amazing <laughs> story. But what I love about that is for someone, you know, at the point in their career where he is, that he sees it as important to also you know, invest in a friendship with you, you know, be connected to you, check in on you. Like, man, that is such a great testament yeah. to his character, you know, right. as it's, a person, it's, it's, really. It's got to be genuine because, like, there's nothing I can offer him other than friendship. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, he's, you know. There's nothing that, you know, you know, you've probably met people where they want to be your friend just because of something they can get out of you or, right. you know, maybe get a connection. It, it's, it can't be that. I know it's not that. Mike. So. And let I, me ask you, <clears throat> let me ask you this, because and I'm I'm gathering this from following you on social media, which we're going to make sure everyone has the links to your social media, because there are a lot of like wise things that you post on there, particularly about your journey as a full-time artist and just things to pay attention to some tips and things like that. So there are several times that I'm like, thank you, Brandon. Thank you for that <laughs> wisdom. So I'm gathering from reading those things from your social media that you, you seem like you also would be giving you know, in this way too, have you found in your journey now that you are sort of at this place in your career where clearly you're not at the beginning, you're not a novice, like you are honing this craft. You are at this place of your career where you, you do what you do very well, which makes other people want to work with you. What are the things that you say to the people that become young Brandon to you? You know, Mm -hmm. the things that, the ways that Verdine is is investing into you and in this friendship, what are the things that you say when you see someone that's like young Brandon was on that fence, you know, just watching this happen? And I'm sure there are a lot of young people who are watching you play at various events and shows and feeling those feelings about like what they can be, you know, based upon seeing you. What, what are the things you typically say in those moments? I just always, I always want to let people know, like, you know, be the best you can be, you know, practice, get good, you know, you know, you, you always want to build, you know, you want to try to be the best you can be, but I always let people know that like the thing that, that gets you working and keeps you working is, is treating people right. Mm. Um, you know, I, 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 I've known people that have, you know, some of the best musicians that don't work just because, you know, there might be too much ego or, you know, they just don't, don't particularly care about people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I just always tell people that like, just, just make sure you treat everybody right. Even if somebody, you know, does something a little bit shady to you, don't, 
you know, just kind of take it for what it is. Don't feel like you have to get revenge, (laughs) you know, you know, don't, don't, don't burn bridges because, you know, you don't want to ever give anybody any kind of ammo. You know, I I don't want anybody saying like, uh, you know, Brandon Gilliard did a gig for me and he was good, but man, his attitude was terrible. Right. You know, like that, that's a career killer. Um, so, you know, just try to, that's, that's one thing I always tell people, just, just make sure you, you know, just treat people, treat people well. I think that's such a great point because I think a lot of times, particularly in, in the field of arts and performing arts, probably even more particularly that there is this idea and focus on, you know, make sure, you know, you're doing your craft well and that you, you know, sort of even that idea of Malcolm Gladwell with the 10,000 hours and, you know, become a master of your craft, which is, which is part of it. But if you become a master in your craft and you have all of the technical proficiencies needed to do whatever it is you're doing and Mm -hmm. you can't treat people well and you can't say please and thank you you know and you can't use your manners and do those things you Mm -hmm. could be as technically proficient as they come and no one wants to work with you and no one enjoys the experience of what you bring to the table so I I love when you make those points on your social media because I'm like that's right you know if you want to stay working as an artist it's not just that your vocal or your yeah. instrumentation has to be so amazing. You want that to be great too, because you don't want to just be nice and, and good to people, mm-hmm. but then you can't play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of this. So, you know, I always make sure, you know, okay. So sometimes people think of one job being more important than another. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. Everybody, you know, everybody does something and each part is important, right? You know, and everybody, every person is important. You know, sometimes people kind of look, you know, like they kind of put the guy that the guy in the suit above the guy that's, you know, the janitor. And that's, that's not, I don't think that's right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, you do two different jobs, but like, you know, you can't really say that one person is more important than the other person. We're all people. Yeah, um, that's good. So, so you know, I, I try to treat everybody equally and, you know, not so I can get something out of it. But, you know, there have been times where it kind of has benefited me. Um, and, but that's not why I do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give me an example. There, there was a. Uh, I was playing a big festival a couple of years ago and uh, there's this guy um, just kind of kind of hanging around outside the green room and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to like start conversations with people. You know, he didn't particularly look well-dressed or anything, you know. Uh, so, you know, most of the people, you know, this was a, a big gig. And I think most people kind of assumed he was like a nobody, like, you know, I don't want to talk to him. So, you know, I, I saw him talking to people, trying to talk to people. So I, I went over there. I started talking to him and, uh, just the nicest guy. And, uh, and, uh, anyway, come to find out, uh, his wife is, is actually like a pretty big, uh, what do you call it? 
she does a lot of booking for movies and things. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I found that out later. But, you know, we started a conversation. We traded information, not because of that, but, you know, just like, hey, nice to meet you, guy. You know, so that was a connection that I got, you know, by just trying to be friendly to the, the person that nobody wanted to talk to, <laughs> mm. wow. you know, so you, you never, you never really know. Um, and you know, I'm not saying that you'd be nice people because you can get something sure, out of them. Sure. Um, but I guess what I'm, I am saying is like, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, God puts people in your life that, you know, I, I don't know if it's like a, you know, I'm just going to test you to see, see how you're going to treat this person. Mm. You know, mm. I, I feel like that sometimes. I love that. I was I was just saying to someone this week um, that a lot of my work takes me into conferences or has taken me into a lot of conferences over the years. And I learned a very similar lesson, Brandon, because a lot of times, especially if you're at a conference where, you know, a lot of like you're in that green room where all of the influential people are, you know, mm -hmm. that it's it's the tendency, you know, of a lot of us or most of us to want to gravitate to the person that you look at and everybody knows them. You know, they have the big right. name, you know, those things. And not that you shouldn't introduce yourself to that person sometimes, too. But I have found in those mm -hmm. situations that the times that I first, you know, looked around to see like who's sitting right here next to me, they're in this green room. I wonder why they're in here. Let me talk to them. Let me see where they're from, what they do, right. what they're about. I have found that I've learned and gotten a chance to know so many amazing people and hear so many amazing stories because I wasn't just in those situations searching for like the most famous person I could talk to or the person I could look at and say, Oh, I know who they are. I know, you know what they're about. Yeah. And I think that's really important to remember. You know, there are so many situations that we're going to be in where you are going to have a chance to get to know some really great people, you know, and like you said, not for necessarily what they can do for you, but sometimes you get some great work out of those experiences too, because they've established this connection with you. You know, all of these partnerships that happen. I know that's happened to me sometimes. I went in a green room like, we don't know each other, but let me tell you these things and you tell me these yeah. things. And then you end up with great friendships that way and great work yeah. partnerships too. So I really yeah. love, uh, really love that point. I want to yeah. ask you about God being in the groove. And okay. I find I'm even going through this like season of time where even like the music that I listen to that is about God, it's like, I want the groove there. <laughs> like the, the groove is a part of what even speaks right. to me spiritually. And in, in the book, I have uh, this passage where I say, find God in the groove, in the change, in the challenge, in the healing, in the waiting, in the anticipating. When you find God's groove, remember to dance. So I want to ask you, you are a renowned musician, bass player, influencer, leader. What would you say is your experience of God being in the groove in your life? I, I, think, I think sometimes God wants us to kind of... 
you probably heard the phrase, like, you're doing too much. Right. right. <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, because, you know, one thing about the groove is, you know, people call it pocket, too. It means, you know, and a lot of times when people say pocket, it means, like, hey, lay back, play, play a couple less notes, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes God wants us to kind of, like, get in the pocket, <laughs> you know, just like, just kind of lay back a little bit, like, hey. You know, I got it. Trust. That kind of that yeah, like, right. Like, like being with God in the group yeah. really comes back to trust. Right. Wow. Yeah, I'll tell you the thing about myself. Like, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a doer. You know, like I like to make my best attempt to to make things happen. And sometimes that that you know that sometimes it's a good thing, but other times it's like, you know. I just need to chill out. Right. <laughs> I just need to chill out and, and let God do what he does. We are totally alike in that because I am a doer myself. And that I feel like that's always where God is like, girl, I really wish that you would just have a seat sometimes. I really wish that you would like have a seat and like, let me do my stuff. Like you, you can do some of your stuff, but you let me do my stuff because I know better than you and I'm more powerful than you. That's right. basically a constant conversation <laughs> between God and I completely. So yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, one of the latest projects that you've had a chance to work on and where people can experience your work, uh, even on the big screen. So okay. I want to talk about Ferdinand, which is okay. a movie that's coming out. I believe the release date is December 15, if I've done my research that's right. correctly. Yeah. You're right. So you've had this experience of having played in bands, of having mm-hmm. played with artists. You play on tour with artists. You also do studio sessions for different recordings. What was it like uh, working on a film and how was that different from other studio sessions and from touring? Okay, gotcha. All right, so movie sessions... Um, Hollywood movie sessions, uh, everything is is scored out. So that means that everything is written out note for note. So uh, you have to be able to 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 sight read very well. Um, well, you know, if, if if you weren't able to, for one, it would be hard to get a call to do it. But if you if you for some reason you did get a call and, and you know made your way to the studio and for some reason weren't able to read the the material. Um, they would probably, I, I know for a fact that they'll send you home very quickly wow. <laughs> uh, because it's, it's a lot of music. Uh, you got to think about, uh, you think about a, a 90 minute movie, think about how, how much music is in that, in that movie. So, uh, it's just basically, you know, you, you go in composer has written everything out note for note, um, and they're trying to move very quickly. So, so Ferdinand, we we did the whole, uh, we did the whole movie in a two day recording session. Wow! Uh, and th- this was all union stuff. So, which means that you know you do two hours, you take a break, and you do two more hours. So, so basically, we probably the first day we probably actually recorded maybe five hours of the eight, mm-hmm. and then the next day it was a little closer to probably, I don't know, six, seven hours or something like that. Uh, so, you know, we, we had to um, basically play through, you know, play through the song, 
you know, if something wasn't right, you might get a second chance to do it. Uh, but we had to move really quickly. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, uh, you know, other recording sessions, you know, don't necessarily require people to be able to read. Mm. Um, so as a bass player, I don't, you know, I, I don't read on every gig, but it is a, it's a tool that I have in my back pocket, mm. uh, you know, cause it's a back a bit, as a bass player, you know, I want to be working as much as possible. So, you know, somebody calls me and says, Hey, I want you to play this Norwegian folk music. Uh, you know, I want to be able to go and do it. Uh, somebody says, Hey, I want you to come play this R and B session. I want to be able to say, yes, I can do that. Mm. Um, and with, you know, like Ferdinand, somebody says, Hey, I need you to come and, and, and play this movie soundtrack. I can say yes. Um, so for me, it's all about being able to do as many things as possible. Well, so that I, I can basically pay my bills. <laughs> right. right. <Yeah. laughs> um, now, you know, with Ferdinand, you know, there was, you know, it's a lot of instruments. There's a, a full orchestra there. Um, you know, I played I played electric bass on this. Uh, there's a percussion, a whole group of percussionists, and then there's also a you know a drum, you know, a guy on the drum set. Um, let's see, uh, this guy named George During that um, does all did all the guitar stuff. So let me tell you about the uh, the composer, so that then I can tell you about the guitar player. Okay. So the the composer for the movie is a guy named John Powell. John Powell, uh, we we worked together a couple years ago uh, on the soundtrack for Rio too. Mm. Uh, so John Powell, uh, he did. I think he wrote the soundtracks for the Bourne movies. Wow. Uh, Horton hears a who, um, How to Train Your Dragon. I think one of the Transformers movies. Uh, Shrek, the Shrek movies. Wow. Uh, a, there's a lot more, but he, I think he's done, I want to say something like 60 major films, like big budget movies over the years. And he's really good. Like he actually, he tried to retire a couple of years ago, but then he just, people just kept calling. So he just <laughs> kept doing it. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, he, um, uh, and when we did Rio together, you know, he, he was, he was super nice to me. He told me that, uh, I remember him saying he was like, uh, so the bass player, James Jameson, who used to play all the Motown stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me, he's like, you're the, you're the closest thing to James Jameson wow. since James. And I was like, Whoa, what? Wow. I was, like, I was like, that's, that's, that's huge. Like, thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> uh, so anyway he, he calls me you know when he needs me he calls me um uh, in this particular movie he he wanted he wanted my sound on the movie so he, he called me for it and um, he was like you're gonna be in la and i was like absolutely yes i'll be there <laughs> please please <laughs> so uh but anyway so the guitar player george during uh george has actually played every movie that john has done in the last couple of years wow so he's this guy so i'm kind of hoping that maybe i can become his his every time guy <laughs> right <laughs> right sure yeah, yeah oh my wonderful. goodness 
<laughs> wow. And for anyone looking to go see this in the theaters, Ferdinand is a cartoon. So yep. those of you that want to go see something that is family friendly, you can do that and you can get a chance to hear the amazing bass stylings of Brandon Gilliard. I always close the podcast by asking every guest, what is your favorite album of all time? What is your answer, Brandon? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There's a <laughs> lot of good albums. Hold on. Let me think. So so here's my thing. Like, there's a there's so many good songs right. that I, I like. And then so there's there's a lot of good songs, but you know, you you might like a lot of songs, but then you like there's like one song you don't like mm-hmm. on an album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh or what album would you say one of your favorite albums that you say you you would say you love it track for track you turn it on you listen to the whole thing you love the entire album itself uh i'll go with uh the voodoo album by d'angelo good choice yeah that that one's good good (laughs) oh that's a good choice i mean it was so it it was it was genre changing yeah. in a lot of ways that album and i i have to say thus far of everyone i've interviewed on this podcast no one has embarrassed me cuz i'm just like always afraid i'm going to ask someone the question and they're going to like say an album that i'm going to immediately be like no we can't be friends if that's your favorite <laughs> album like I do judge friendships based upon <laughs> the answer to this question. So you answered this question great, Brandon. It's cool. We can we can still be friends. Everything's good. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so Brandon, people may want to stay connected to you, may want to know what you're up to, where they can check you out when you're touring and and where they can get this wisdom that you are dispensing from your social media platforms. So what would you say to people who may want to uh, stay connected to you, find out more about you? Where should they go? Okay. So my my website is www.mybassplayer.com. That's spelled M-Y-B-A-S-S-P-L-A-Y-E-R.com. Nice. Uh, it's nice and simple. Mybassplayer.com. Uh, now my Instagram is uh, also my bass player, and uh, on Facebook I'm just Brandon Gilliard, and uh, just spell that last name G I L L I A R D. Brandon Gilliard. This has so, been awesome. What a great conversation, Brandon. Thank you for sharing your expertise for sharing these awesome stories with me and with the listeners here. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast and for contributing to the groove all around the world. We appreciate you for doing that as well, Brandon. Thank you so much. Hey, and thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do something together again soon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. See, y'all hear that <laughs> listeners? Do y'all hear that? Yes. We want to do that. Thanks a lot, Brandon. <laughs> all right. Thank you. The How to Fix a Broken Record podcast is produced by DJ Ope Diggy at Orange Fuzz Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. The book, How to Fix a Broken Record, is available wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening.